know, just to do a little bit of cleanup from the last three days, just cleaning up a little bit. Uh, there's a great Bible verse, Psalms 51, verse 6. King David is caught in adultery by the, by the prophet Nathan. Nathan with Bathsheba, you know? And then, uh, create in me a clean heart, O God. He comes out with another one of David's greatest hits. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And if you go down Psalms 51, verse 6 says, For you desire truth in my inward parts. The empty pot. You desire truth down in there in the, in the gut level of who I am. Well, I'm so thankful that Jesus invites us to come near to him with this stuff. He's not offended by it. He's not concerned by it. Well, he is concerned by it. He cares for you. But he's not shocked and appalled. Jesus knows exactly what to do with those places. And as we come to him, as, as we are, appear before him with the, with the complete honest truth of who we are before him, he'll take us from there. I love how, how Jesus will take, take us by the hand. Come away with me, my beloved. From that place. From that place. Come away with me, my beloved. Let me take you to my garden. In this seed, there's a flower. In this seed over here, there's a whole apple tree. Over here in this cocoon, you look at this. Inside that is a butterfly. And in winter times, there's a spring coming. And our beloved takes us by the hand and leads us in intimacy. Jesus, we need you to lead us in intimacy. We need you to lead us. That We don't even know how to do it. <laughs> we need you to, to teach us how to kiss you in worship. We need you to teach us how to be intimate with you, how to go deeper with you, Holy Spirit. We need you to lead us. We say yes to your invitation to come away with you. What I like about the beginning of the book of Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, is this, this phrase where Jesus, the he in the story, speaking over the bride, us, the she, he says, though you're dark, you're lovely. Though you're dark, you're lovely. Though you were the one put out to the fields to work, I say you're lovely. What I love about God is that he doesn't see our immaturities as rebellion. He just sees them as immaturities. What I love about God is when we come to him with our empty pots, we come to him with our brokenness, all of our stuff, he says, you're lovely. You are my fair one. You are my fair one. Come away with me. It's just so beautiful. And this is why we pray Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, God, give us the strength in our inner man that we can comprehend how much is the love of Christ, the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the great love of God for us. How is it that when we were yet sinners, favor before obedience, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? When we were the, the harlots and we were far from God, Jesus came running after us. When we were the one lost sheep, 
Jesus came and tracked us down. Oh, God, how, why would you ever do that? Give us an understanding of your love for us, Lord. Help us get it in our inner man. And that's what revelation is, is when you finally get it in the inside, right? All right, I want to tell you a couple stories um, to kick off tonight. Friend Brian, Brian Kim, when he was in his early 20s, he did a two-year Daniel fast. No sweets, no treats, no meats for two years. Why? Why? Anybody want to venture a guess? Want to be healthy? I'm sure he was much healthier that way. God was calling him away. Yes, my beloved. After two years, he saw a couple breakthroughs. He was told by, by a prophet that he would be given a prayer strategy that would go around the world. And that's exactly what happened. And suddenly, there was a significant breakthrough in his life. And after two years of Daniel fasting, he, he met with the Lord. He said, God, I really want to eat cake. If you don't specifically speak to me sometime today, I'm going to break this Daniel fast. And at midnight tonight, I'm going to eat cake. He, he, was, he was a student in, in college at that time. And he went to the public library to do some research. And he sits down at a table with someone he, doesn't, he does not know. And just being a, a, you know, a kind human being, he just introduced himself. Hi, I'm Brian. And the guy said, hi, my name's Daniel Fast. The guy's name was Daniel Fast. Brian kept fasting. As a young man in his 20s. Today, Brian's in his 30s, and he's leading a movement called, called ACTS. Antioch, something's training center, training and sending center. And, um, and he is leading this movement of people where they're planting missionaries all over the Middle East right now. And Brian, in his mid-30s, is leading this charge. God is looking for young men and women that will, even at your age, set themselves aside for prayer and fasting and to seek God's face. Will you be one of those? He's looking for a remnant. He's looking for a people in our generation, that, in your generation, that he can attach his spirit to. A couple years ago, our community in Washington, D.C., the Holy Spirit led us on a 45-day fast. Now, everybody got to choose what kind of fast they wanted to do. Some of them just did liquid fast, like just liquids for 45 days. Others did like a vegan fast or um, things like that. There was this one guy. His name was Gabriel. And uh, hey, Gabriel. And about three weeks into the six-week fast, he came to me. He's like, Jason, I just think, like, you know, like God loves me, and he, and he, like, cares for me. And he's, like, good. And I just feel like the Lord doesn't really need me to fast. And, like, he wants me to know that I can, like, enjoy food. And I said, hey, Gabriel, I said, I can't make you fast. That would, that would turn me into some sort of cult leader or something. 
Like, if you want to eat, you can eat. This is voluntary. Now, we felt as a community that God was calling us to a corporate fast altogether, but you may eat if you like. Um, but it's between you and the Lord, and I told him, I said, if the Lord really wants you to fast, he for surely can make that clear to you. And that was my last conversation with Gabriel. I never followed up. Like, there was a group of, like, 30 of us fasting and praying together over that, that season of time, and, and um, about two weeks passed. And another one of our intercessors, her name, her name is Rebecca. She came to me, and Becca's like, hey, Jason, I don't know what the deal was, but Last night, I had a dream that our team, our whole fasting community, we were sitting in a circle, and we were sharing about the dreams that we had last night. In her dream, we were sharing about the dreams we had the night, before, the night previous. She said someone was sharing a dream that, about, like, the church of the United States not taking God seriously and, and just, like, just being so casual with their faith that we had lost our first love. She said, but the strange thing was, as we were sitting in the circle and this person was sharing the dream, that Gabriel and Natalie, in the dream, they were in the center of the circle, hiding underneath an eight-foot folding table, and they were laughing, kind of mocking everything, and they were eating red velvet cupcakes. I said... And so, and when we're in a season of prayer and fasting as a community, we debrief every day. What's God speaking to you? Did you have any dreams last night? Did you have any encounters today? Like, what's God doing in our midst? Because we want to be praying according to his spirit and be led by his spirit. So I told Becca, I said, okay, tomorrow at our next team debrief, share the dream, but leave the names out of it. We don't want to cause shame to anybody. Because Gabriel and Natalie were both in our fasting community. So the very next day, Becca shares this dream. She goes, had the dream last night. In the dream, we were sitting in a circle. Someone was sharing about a dream they had in the dream that the church was being complacent, not taking Jesus seriously. And then Gabriel and Natalie were hiding under, were laughing, eating red velvet cupcakes, hiding underneath an eight-foot table. Or, I'm sorry, she left the names out of it. <laughs> I'm not telling the story right. She, she left the names out of it. But as she shares the dream, she's like, and then there was like two people in the middle of the room hiding under an eight-foot folding table, laughing and eating red velvet cupcakes. As she shares the dream, Gabriel and Natalie turn bright red, and they look at each other, and they go. The very night that Becca had the dream, they had gotten red velvet cupcakes, and they were hiding under an eight-foot folding table from the rest of our community, laughing and breaking their fast. Gabriel was all down about it. The next morning, I called him like, Gabriel, how are you doing? He's like, man, I feel awful. I said, Gabriel, don't feel awful. Don't you realize? Nothing half that remotely interesting has ever happened in my life. God sees you. And he's jealous for your fast. You're moving heaven to earth through your fast. And God just wants you to know that. He's a good father. He didn't call you out to shame you. He called you out to value you. You start feeling a little bit better about the whole thing, right? You guys, God is calling a young generation to fast and pray and to seek his face. Another, another great story about fasting. We're on a, this different fast. This one was a 21-day fast. In the midst of the fast was July 4th, and I was completely 
I mean, I was, I was out of energy. But it was July 4th, and I took my kids to the Capitol Hill July 4th parade. And the Capitol Hill July 4th parade is not the big one that goes down Independence Avenue. This is like, or Constitution Avenue. This is like the Capitol Hill local parade, where it's like the puppy parade, and they throw out a lot of candy and stuff. And so my kids, I take them to this parade, and they're, they're picking up all this candy. We come back. Um, at that point, my family lived in a church. We were literally poor as church mice. And we're living in a church in one bedroom, and, uh, and they come home with these big, these bags of candy. And being the good dad that I am, I think, how can I get as much of this candy out of the house or out of the church or out of our bedroom as possible? Teach your kids about tithing. So, so I had them put all the Jolly Ranchers in one pile, all the Tootsie Pops in another pile, all the, you know, all the Starbursts in another pile, and down the line, because you don't just give God the kinds that you don't like, right? So and out of every 10, you give God one, right? So the kids put all the candy out, and out of, according to their kind, they tithed 10%, and they put it all in this big capsule of candy, decorated it with tissue paper, and for Jesus, and at this point, we lived in a church, so Sunday morning, we just walked down the steps into the church sanctuary, and my children put it into the offering plate. Now, during this particularly fast, I was asking Abba to reveal to me his love as Abba God. I'm like, Abba, I know you're the daddy, but I want to know deeper that you're our daddy. I want to know more of your love. So this is what happened. So Monday, the church office is closed. Tuesday morning... A friend of mine who was also living in the church, he was with our community, his name's Aaron. Aaron walked in to the church office to Pastor Dave's mother-in-law, Grandma Mimi. Grandma Mimi's job every uh, Tuesday was to take the offering from that week, count it, register it into the accounting ledger, and then take it to the, to the bank. Aaron walks in, Grandma Mimi is there with the offering plate in front of her with the candy, She's holding a Tootsie Pop in front of her face with tears streaming down out of her eyes. And she's shaking it. She's like, I thought I made it hard on God. I thought I made it hard on God. And Aaron's like, Grandma Mimi, what's going on? She said a couple weeks ago, I was really missing my husband. Her husband had died a couple years previous. She was now a widow. She said, I was having a really lonely night. She was, you know, in her 70s. She said, I just cried out to my daddy. And I said, Daddy God, when I was a little girl, I used to love those great Tootsie Pops. And I just want to ask you, Daddy. This is her empty pot prayer. I just want to ask you, Daddy, as a sign to me that I'm still your little girl. Will you give me a grape Tootsie Pop? Two weeks later, she's counting the offering. She opens up this tissue paper capsule, and she runs her hand through the candy, and there, laying on top, is a grape Tootsie Pop. She begins to weep as the love of the Father just baptizes her. And all of us got the revelation. The Father loves us as his children, even when we're 70. We will always be his child, no matter how old we get. We will always be our daddy's child. You guys, the strangest things happen on time, seasons of fasting and prayer. 
A year ago, I went on a fast. My family needed a new van. Our old minivan was breaking down. Now, I'm not telling you that you're going to prosper financially because you go on the fast. But this is what happened on this fast. So we decided as a faith vision, we're about, I'm like two weeks into the fast. It's a Sunday morning. Instead of going to church, we went to the car dealership. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Just bear with me. But we decided if our family is believing God for a new van, we should figure out, like, we should get specific with our prayers. Like, we want to know the make, the model, what we want. So we heard it, like, in the homeschool blogs, we have a large family, that Nissan made this van called a Nissan NV that has, like, it's kind of like the front of a Suburban and the back is a 12-passenger. So we thought, okay, we're going to go to the Nissan dealership just to test drive one to see if this is what, you know, we'd want to start praying for. We get there, and our two littlest girls, I'm too lazy to put the car seats over. And I'm also in a fast, so I'm really, really tired. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to take the little girls into the dealership. We'll just hang out here in the lobby. Kimberly, you take the older kids, and you test drive the van, because you'll probably be the one driving this thing anyway. So she's out test driving. While she's test driving it, I get a, a text message from a friend that has no idea what's going on. He said, Jason, my family just bought a brand-new Nissan NV this past week. We like it so much, we want to buy you one, too. I texted him back. I'm like, this is a $40,000 vehicle. I texted him back. I said, I said, bro, I'm literally in the Nissan dealership right now. Kimberly's out driving one right now. We're test driving it to see if this is what we want to start praying for. And so he called me right away. And he's like, I took a picture of me, like, in the Nissan dealership, texted it to him. He called me. He's like, Jason, he's like, I'm just being your pushy friend. But if your wife gets back from the test drive and you ask her, do you like the van? And she says, yes, I want you to drive the van home this afternoon. I will figure out the finances. The strangest things happen to us when we fast and pray. Again, the father was saying, I am with you. By the end of the fast, I had a new car, too. It's true. Both of us did. I'm like, what in the world is the Father doing, right? But God, it's not about the prosperity of finances, you guys. It's about the love of the Father being expressed to his children. It's about the love of Jesus being revealed. It's not about a new car. It's about, Father, you are the provider. You see our needs even before we ask. And Just the timing of it all said that was God. And actually, the timing of it all blasted my friend. He was, like, he was floored just to give the money to buy the van just because of the way it happened. He's like, whoa, God used me. And it was obvious that it was God, right? So I want to talk to you a little bit about fasting tonight. Can I do that? All right. Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to try to to hang on here with me fast. I'm going to try to get it really cruised. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and tested them for 10 days. 
At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Everybody say, boo. Boo to the king's food. So the, boo. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. You guys, these guys asked for vegetables for 10 days. Not because it was a 10-day Daniel fast. They asked for vegetables for 10 days simply for permission to eat vegetables from that day forward to make a lifestyle out of it. This is what these guys did as young as youths. Youths. That's a tough word for me to say with my braces. <coughs> Verse 17. As for these youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. If you're praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Holy Spirit anoints fasting every single time. Every single time he anoints it. These guys cracked into something. Daniel was given insight by the Holy Spirit to not only interpret the king's dream, but to tell the king what his dream was in the first place. But these young, these young men, these four young men had consecrated themselves, set them aside, set themselves aside to be a holy people in Babylon over that time. And they ate vegetables. Now, I'm not here to split hairs over what kind of food you eat, but I want you at least eating the word of God, not your Facebook or your Instagram. I want you to be eating the places of prayer, not eating the places of the movies. Feast your soul on the goodness of God, not on the things of this world that we know will never satisfy, will only leave us bored anyway, right? Set yourself up to eat the vegetables. This is why you're here, Elam. We're taking a year, two years, three years, whatever it is, Set aside simply to feast on the word of God, that his word would dwell inside of us from this day forward. Amen? This is why you're here. God's putting his hand on you guys. You are all marked young men and women for Jesus. He'll track you down wherever you go. You're his now. Amen. Okay. Daniel, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Fasting is is a practical way to humble ourselves before God. I call fasting a Caribbean cruise for your soul. Put your soul on vacation and go on a fast. Your soul will love it. Keyword, your soul. I have a love-hate relationship with fasting because I love food. I once heard a friend of mine, Lou Engel, he said, every time I start a fast, my wife asks, asks me, what do you want for breakfast tomorrow morning? <laughs> like Lou, I've broken as many fasts as I've kept, probably more. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, okay, this is New Testament Christianity. This is Jesus, the Sermon of the Mount. This is the invisible God now appearing before us, Jesus, the one that was there when the world began, that spoke the world into being, Jesus is now standing there. This is the word made flesh. This is the creator God who said, let there be light, and there was light. And suddenly, the book of Genesis is now standing before us in the form of a man, the word made flesh in Jesus. This is the freedom of Exodus, saying, I'm going to lead my people out of Exodus, 
out of Egypt into the promised land. I, and I'm going to give them a culture. And suddenly, this is now, Je the Exodus is now standing, the word made flesh in front of them. This is Jesus, the creator of everything. This is Hosea, the wounded lover of Hosea. The words of the prophet Isaiah is now standing in our midst in the flesh. This is Isaiah, the one that will come, as, and this will be a sign, a baby, right? And the government will be on his shoulders. The, now here he is, grown up as a man, and this God-man, the man that was there before the world began, is now standing, and he's teaching us. God, who made everything, is teaching us on the Sermon of the Mount. This is Jesus. And Jesus says this in verse 16, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, all I want to make on this point right here is if you look at the Sermon of the Mount, there's three things right in a row. Giving to the needy, prayer, fasting. Dun, dun, dun. Now, most of the church, if you grew up in the church in the West, in the United States or other Western countries, giving to the poor, giving to the needy, charitable giving and prayer are always talked about, right? Guess what? Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, the Word made flesh, the God-man, he told us, give to the needy, prayer, fasting. It was all a part of the Christian life. It was just normal. The kingdom of God coming, New Testament Christianity. Um, Acts chapter 13, we're not going to turn there, but it says the church in Antioch, in a time of fasting and prayer, as they were, it says, as they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to set apart Paul and Barnabas. And after they had fasted and prayed, they sent them off as missionaries. Right? So the New Testament church is a church of fasting and prayer. Fasting is a great gift. Right? There's, kind of, there's kind of three things with fasting. Uh, first of all, the gift of fasting. Fasting is a gift. It, is, it ushers our soul into a place of receiving the more that God has for us. So as we begin to get spiritually hungry, and we're like, God, I know, and there's this understanding of, God, I know you have more for me. How do we position our, our inner man to be able to receive the more that he has for us? What can we do, God, to practically position ourselves? God gave us fasting. This is what you do. It's such a gift. Such a gift, you guys. Um, but then secondly, there's the fight of fasting. It is a war of passions. I've been on that fast, and I look at that smoothie, and I'm like, God... I'm like Gabriel in the story. Like, certainly you're good. What is this I am drinking? I want steak. You, certainly in your goodness. Like, you've anointed this to be the way I receive more of you? And there's this war of passions that go back and forth, right? But ultimately, when we say... Mark Batterson, he's becoming a, a pretty well-known um, pastor in the D.C. region. At one time he met with our community, and I asked him to teach us about fasting. And he walked in, he said, 
He walks in, he sits down, and his opening line, sits down. There's over 600 muscles in the human body. In the human body. Fasting strengthens the no muscle. And then from there, he went into, um, into his teaching on fasting. Um, here's the thing, you guys. It is a fight sometimes. There is a war of passions. But the reason we fast is we say, Jesus, I am pointing all my passions for you. I am positioning my soul to receive more from you. And God has anointed this place of fasting to do that. I wouldn't typically teach on fasting right out the gate like this, but I sense there was a lot of hunger in you guys for more of the Lord. And so I want to give you everything I have. Amen? Fasting is incredible. Um, a couple things just about fasting that I would I'd want to tell you is there's an ester fast, which is no food, no water, completely dry for three days. Um, if you're going to do that, please, please, please get somebody, a spiritual covering or something in your life to agree to it with you. And don't go more than 72 hours ever. At that point, your body shifts from I was fasting to you're now destroying your body that God gave you. And so um, I just needed to say that because to be responsible for my, my teaching on fasting here. Um, there are different kinds of fasting. Like I mentioned, liquids fast, um, no meats, no sweets. Um, my wife has just given up a bowl of cereal before, before bedtime this week. Like, she has to keep eating. She's nursing a baby, right? Um, so there's different forms of fasting. My very first fast, I gave up sugared drinks. Before, you know, I was still back home in Pennsylvania before I got my call to missions. And I worked at a restaurant at that time, and, um, as well as my dad's farm. But I worked at a restaurant full time. And I just gave up sugared drinks for 40 days for Lent leading up to, to Easter. Just say, God, I want more of you. I want more of your resurrection power in my life. And you guys, that was tough. It was. It was like Coke and, you know, like sweet tea, stuff like that. And uh, God anointed it. It's not about the grade of your fasting. It's not, well, I'm doing water. Well, you're... No, it's not. It's simply about Holy Spirit. What can I do to position myself before you in a greater way? You know, fasting sugar drinks back then was probably as hard as it is now for me to just do on water. You know, like, it's just, a, it's a different place. And it's, it's not about the grades at all. So we can't compare, don't compare yourself one to another when you fast or anything like that. That's just weird. Um, there's, uh, there's the Benedictine fast, um, made famous by St. Benedict, where he would, he would fast uh, uh, breakfast and lunch. And he would just eat one meal, typically like a Daniel diet meal at dinner time, and so he would be typically fasted throughout the day. Um, so there's different types of fasting, and again, if you, if you really want to get into fasting a lot, um, I would encourage you to get people to, be, to, to know what you're doing. I know in scripture it says, like, when you fast, don't tell anybody, keep it secret. You don't. The point is not to not tell anybody. The point is humility. <laughs> We're not taking pride in our fasting. Our pr actually, our fasting is meant to be like, we are broken. We don't know what to do. We know that we hunger for more of you. We know that you have more for us. We are completely bankrupt in knowing how to seek your face anymore. So we're just going to stop eating, and we're going to position ourselves to get more of you, God. It's humility. Fasting is not trying to, get, to twist God's arm to do something that we want him to do. Fasting is more, it's about change us so that we can, we can receive and contain more of your spirit within us.
It's about receiving from him, and, the, and that's, that's what the Lord does in our lives. And so, um, okay, the gift of fasting, the fight of fasting, and the third thing is the heart of fasting. I wanted to talk a little bit of that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. So this is the same, this is the God-man on the earth. Blows my mind. I, I don't know what, what I would have done if I was one of the apostles and I had the revelation that the man I'm looking at right now spoke the world into being. But this is the one that we get to know. And the Holy Spirit is with us today. Verse 14 of chapter 9. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. In this story, the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees come to Jesus. They're like, hey, these disciples, we're like fasting. Your disciples aren't. What's the deal with that? You can almost, almost kind of feel a sense of a challenge, like, Jesus, you're not as good as a discipler as John is. Like, you should need to up your game. And Jesus takes this opportunity for the first time of his walk on the earth. He introduces himself as the most intimate relationship that humanity will ever know is between a man and a wife. I know that parents and children have a certain love, but a man and a wife are one flesh. And Jesus introduces himself as the bridegroom. The revelation of Jesus at the end of the age is a great wedding feast. And even Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem will be adorned as a city, as a, as a bride for her husband. And we, as the bride of Christ, will be united with our beloved bridegroom, Jesus. The revelation of Jesus at the end of the age is Jesus, the bridegroom king, who sits on the throne, and we are intimately have become one with our bridegroom. The hunger that's in each one of our hearts is, is a hunger for love. It's a hunger for the intimacy that only God can grant us. It's even deeper than what we will ever have with a husband or a wife. It's, it's a oneness with God. The great, bride, the great bridegroom is with infinite love, infinite closeness. And here Jesus says, when the bridegroom's with them at the wedding feast, you know, they're not going to fast then because they're celebrating me. I'm here. But when I'm gone, there's going to be a yearning. There's going to be a hunger, and then they will fast. And here we are. For the last 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven, the church has been running on the Great Commission to make Jesus known to every tribe and tongue and language on the earth. We've been seeking God's face for 2,000 years, and in the heart of the church is a Maranatha, 
Come, Lord Jesus, come. Our great bridegroom, come back. We are hungering for you. There's nothing we want more than your return. Jesus, we want your love. We hunger for you. You guys, the heart of fasting ultimately is simply saying, Jesus, we love you. How can we say it more sincerely? How can we communicate it more deeply? Fasting. Jesus, we love you. And fasting wars against all of our passions. But Jesus, we are saying we will allow you to win the war over our passions. You will have my passions, Jesus. And Jesus will take us from there. Now, I've been on fasts 21 days, 40 days. I got to the end. It didn't seem like anything happened. But guess what? I've never been disappointed. Maybe it's a week later. Maybe it's a year later. But something, will, he will reveal himself to me. And I know I just received the reward. Doesn't always happen in the timing. Oftentimes it does. I'll tell you that. But not always. Sometimes it's the day after you break the fast. But guess what? God was there every single day of your fast. And he, is, he anoints this to open up our souls so that we can receive more from him. Fasting is a great gift. Okay. I want to kind of end. Uh, worship team, if you could come on up, up here. I want to end with some worship tonight. In the integrity of fasting, just to be biblically sound, um, these days there's a lot of, a lot of stuff like, hey, I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a pillow fast. I'm fasting my pillow every night, and I'm just laying my head on the sheets because um, I'm praying that the Lord would make me a resting place for his spirit. Actually, do it. All right? There's like, I'm fasting showers for a week, you know? Just, just because I want the revelation of how important repentance is in my life. Right? I need to get cleansed by, the, by repentance on a daily basis. I need to walk in a lifestyle of repentance, just like I'm taking a shower every day. It feels good to take a shower. It feels good to confess my sins to God every single day, to walk in a spirit of repentance, right? So there's, and then there's like the, the media fasts, like fasting movies, the social media fasts. Um, they're not technically fasts. They're disciplines. Fasting, by definition, means food, Right? However, I do want to tell you that the disciplines of putting aside your phone, I want to ask you guys, would you be willing to put your devices away for the next three days? Like, would you be willing to do that? Right? And maybe some of you guys, there's something in you like, okay, for the next three days, I want to fast something. I'm just not going to have dessert from the cafeteria. Or, you know, something, some sort of a token of saying, I want to position myself, even with real fasting, to say, God, I want to be, I want to dare to be a Daniel. I want to be the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to be that, those people in my generation to say yes. But here's, here's what I want, to, I want us to um, consider tonight. What happens this week is important because it's this week and it's in the now, Right? You guys, I didn't come up here for one week. I came up here believing that God is raising up a generation 
that for the rest of your lives, you are going to set a bar for the Holy Spirit in your generation. We call it the fasted lifestyle. It's not to mean that you never eat again. I still eat steak. I eat ice cream like the best of them. Man, at the end of the week, I want to celebrate with a big pile of Krispy Kreme donuts. Like, I, it's like, God is also the God of the feast. It is the wedding feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb, not the wedding fast at the end of the age, right? So there's feasting and fasting. So I'm, it's, it's not like I'm demonizing food or anything. But a fasted lifestyle just says, listen, I'm going to live like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to have a lifestyle for the rest of my life where I'm fasting regularly, I'm seeking the face of God, and I, I make a covenant with the Lord to this day, this day, that I will never let my heart grow dull. You guys, the persecuted church in Iran and through the Middle East, the pressure is so hot that they can't get dull. Here in America, there is a song of Satan that's lulling the body of Christ constantly. It's playing us a lullaby to lull us to sleep and let our hearts for the Lord grow cold. I'm not demonizing football or tennis, but athletics, entertainment, all the comforts of our Western first world society. What can we do in the midst of this to keep our hearts on fire for God? Fasting, prayer. I'm going to get up in the middle of the night and, and give 2 to 3 o'clock a.m. I'm going to get out of my routine. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to choose suffering, even when it's not required of me, simply to say I humble myself for more of you, Jesus. So tonight, I want to invite you guys to come up to the altar. We're going to go into time, into time of worship here for the last 15 minutes. If you want to say yes... I want to be one of those guys. I want to be one of those young women. I want to be like Brian Kim. I want to be, I want to be the next generation of Daniels, Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednego. I commit to a fasted lifestyle beyond this week, beyond even this semester of school. For the rest of my life, I am committing myself to being set apart, to seeking God's face. This one thing I ask, this one thing I seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze on the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life and to inquire in his tabernacle, that you want to consecrate yourself aside to seek the Lord for the rest of your life, no matter what it means, no matter what meals you have to skip, no matter what... My friend Jeremy Curry, he planned a party at his house, invited all of his friends. His friends came over to his house, and just as they were arriving, he felt the tug of the Holy Spirit saying, come aside and meet with me. He said, hey, friends, there's the food, there's the stuff. I'm going to go on out to have a quiet time. And he left his own party to meet with Jesus. This is what it means to be a people that are constantly listening to the Holy Spirit. When he says, come away, we will come away. No questions asked, right? So if this is you, and you want to be that person, come forward. I'm just going to make an altar out of this place. You can pray your own prayer. Whatever comes out of your mouth, you pray it between you and God. I'm not going to lead you in this prayer. Whatever it means to you to be set apart for God for the rest of your life, to live a fasted lifestyle, and worship team, just lead us in worship. We're going to give our offering, offer our lives to Jesus as our worship. Jesus, we just recognize that the American lifestyle is what it is. 
And this evening, as an act of worship, we come to you and we lay the American lifestyle on the altar. And we say we do not have an entitlement, we do not have a right to live our life the way our parents lived or anybody else around us lived. Tonight, we are putting our American lifestyle on the altar. We are putting our first world lifestyle on the altar simply to receive a lifestyle of seeking your face as the one thing for the rest of our lives. Jesus, we want to. We yearn for the bridegroom. We yearn for your return. We yearn to see that day where you split the skies and you come back. We hunger for more, Jesus.